Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. And uh, well, I didn't want you to think I was too Aussie, right? I had to act a little of American and and uh, and have you just tell me how awesome I am, which is great because I get tired of telling you how great I am. Uh, and so, anyway, really, uh, yeah, come back, Holy Spirit, and uh, so. Well, it's great to be with you tonight. I really believe the Lord is up to something amazing. I love the words of King David when he said these words. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Come on, there is something that happens when we get to step in to the house of God. Here's why I believe we should be happy tonight. We should be filled with joy tonight. We should be glad tonight coming into the house of God is because everything you need is in the house. Seven of you got that. Everything you need is in the house. The, the Lord speaks over and over and over again about a house. Why? He doesn't want to visit us. He wants to dwell with us. And I believe what the Lord is doing in the earth and in the church and in the church in Australia is actually creating habitation culture, not visitation culture. I lived in a, a city that had, uh, at times, was known for more churches per capita than anywhere else on the planet, uh, and everybody had competing church signs. Now, most of the time, I thought church signs were pretty stupid because you would put things up there that really didn't make sense or represent God well, uh, but one day, I was driving by a Church of Christ, and they actually had a really good church sign. It simply said this, uh, I no longer want weekend visitation, I want full custody, God. And I believe that the, the season of weekend visitation, Sunday visitation Christianity has come to an end, and God is actually taking full custody of his sons and of his daughters. See, my heart's desire is that when I come to the end of my life, 50 years from now or 60 years from now, uh, should the Lord tarry, that my wife would put this on my grave, uh, on, on my gravestone. Uh, I've had this conversation with her, and I said, honey, only if it's true, but if it's true, this is what I would love for you to put on my gravestone. David Wagner, a man possessed by God. There's, there's something about desiring the Lord to possess us. Come on, right now, I believe that we are his prized possession. I love that scripture. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I also love these words of David. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures, or his faithfulness endures, for all generations. I believe that you are about to step into a season of miracles in this house and in this nation that will simply be known as the miracles of mercy. I believe that the Lord is about to release a movement of mercy and miracles upon Australia that will actually make Jesus himself so irresistible because people will see the goodness of God. Here's what I love about mercy. Mercy is not just a way out of trouble. It's also a way into promise. If mercy is a way out, it's also a way in. I believe that mercy is in the room tonight. Some, somebody within the sound of my voice, you need to hear this word. Uh, 
When the Lord looks at you, he has mercy on his mind. When the Lord looks at you, he has mercy on his mind. Some of you right now are about to encounter the mercy mind of God. Some of you are about to know the thoughts of mercy that are actually going to set you free from the torment uh, of, uh, of actually self-accusation. I believe that this is a season where the Lord is silencing the mouth of the accuser against the brethren. I believe that the Lord is issuing a Holy Spirit gag order against the enemy. That, that the words that have been constantly bombarding coming against you are actually going to fall to the ground and die while the word of the Lord begins to prosper in you, through you, and around you. Come on, I believe that God is doing something in this place. I'm so thankful to be here, thankful for the ministry of Pastor Tom, Pastor Catherine, the amazing staff that's made me feel welcome uh, all week. Uh, it's been an amazing conference. Uh, uh, I believe every session was not only relevant, but it was revolutionary. It was actually destiny defining. I've been in a lot of conferences. I do conferences all around the world. And there was something really special upon this because I believe something was being established. Something was being birthed. I get nervous when prophets are saying different things. Is it peace or is it war? Is it restoration or is it judgment? But there was this consensus that took place out of the council of God. And I will tell you that probably one of the greatest messages I've ever heard in my life happened yesterday afternoon with Larry Sparks. I'm not saying that to be nice to Larry. Uh, I, I'm just simply saying it honestly. It was a transformational message that if you are called to the prophetic in any way, shape or form, you need to hear that word. I, I'm just telling you right now, it will change your life. But I, I really believe that God is actually bringing us to a place of consensus. Where he's saying things, the same thing a different way, so that, that the church would have ears to hear. I really believe right now that some of you in this place, the Lord is causing you to enter into the season of setup. I believe over the next 50 days, the last 50 or so days of this year, the Lord is about to sound the trumpet of Jubilee. He is about to release a jubilant sound. And in that sound, I believe, is the sound of redemption. I feel like that Jesus the Redeemer is about to make a grand appearance over these next six, seven weeks uh, in this nation and in the church in the earth. I believe that Jesus, the Redeemer, is here tonight. He's not just the Savior. I love the fact that he saves, but he also redeems. I believe that Jesus, the Redeemer, is in the room right now. Some of you need him to redeem circumstance, situations. Some of you need him to redeem marriage. Some of you need to see him redeem ministry. Some of you, maybe tonight, simply need him to redeem the time. I have a word for you. You may feel like you've been behind all year, but God is about to release the go-ahead because he's about to make up for lost time. He's the Redeemer. I believe right now that the anointing of the redemption of Jesus Christ is in this room today. 
I believe there is a crying out that your voice has not hit, and, uh, hit brass, uh, a brass ceiling or a brass heaven, but your voice has ascended into the ear of the Lord. I feel like there's somebody in the room that you feel like your ears or that your prayers have not been heard, that God somehow has not heard your voice. And I just feel like right now, the Lord wants you to know that he hears. Some of you are in a Daniel season. In Daniel, Daniel, the prophet begins to cry out. He's a faithful servant. He's been through a lot of things. He, he cries out one day, Lord, when am I going to see it? When are all of these things going to happen? And he, he begins to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord said, uh, Daniel, I heard you the first time. Over and over again, he's crying out, when God, when God, when God, when God, where God, where God, when God, where God, how God, all of those things. And all of a sudden, the Lord responds, Daniel, I heard you the first time. And the promise has been released. It's just been held up, a little bit delayed by the prince of Persia, by the prince of the air. But the answer's on the way. And just in case you didn't hear me the first time, I heard you the first time. Some of you right now, your question may be, where is it? Here's what I heard the Lord say as I got up here tonight. Tell them it's in the air. I saw Jesus cook, uh, kick a footy ball into the air. It's already been released. It's in the air. And God is positioning you to catch what's been released. It's in the air. Come on, maybe we should play a Phil Collins song. S something in the air tonight. Come on, I believe right now there's something in the air. We were singing that song. The atmosphere is changing now. I believe right now that the Lord is moving us into a season of the response of heaven. I believe many of you are about to receive the response of heaven. I'm not just talking to you tonight. I believe what I've been sharing for the last five minutes is actually a prophetic word to you. I'm purposely packaging it a little bit different. Here's why. The Lord wants to upgrade your hearing. He's actually changing the way at times how he speaks to us because we, we, we've gotten too accustomed to how he spoke yesterday. I felt like over this conference, it was as if the majority of the time we were actually in the Father's living room and we didn't know it. It wasn't a conference, it was a convergence. It wasn't a conference, it wasn't a summit, it was actually a place of encounter where the Lord was actually putting wheels on the Word. You're not hearing me. The, actually, the words that have been released aren't staying stationary. They're actually moving. There is a movement that the Lord is releasing. I kept hearing the sound of a train whistle and a great conductor declaring these words, all aboard, all aboard. Can I tell you something? The Lord is calling the church in Australia to get on board. Now, if you miss this train, if you, you decide you don't want to get on, there's another one coming. 
but the train of the forerunners is on the track, building steam and leaving the station of what you thought was ordinary. I believe this is going to be one of the most phenomenal, extraordinary Christmas seasons we've ever experienced in the earth. I believe that Jesus is about to make a triumphal entry, a triumphal appearance. I believe that Jesus is about to be seen. I believe that we're about to see one of the greatest harvests of souls of this year, even in the last part. I believe for some of you that harvest is in your family. It's around your Christmas table. I believe right now that this is a season where the Lord is opening doors to people's hearts. I believe right now that many of you are being positioned to receive what you've prayed for and waited for all along. Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is. Don't read that passively. Well, now faith is. It's now faith is. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And some of you, God is healing your hope so that you could actually receive faith again. Because faith begins with hope. And I believe the Lord is bringing us into that season of now. There, there is an anointing of now that this is the time. This is the moment. I really feel it right now that your faith has an address. And the question is, is anybody home? Your faith has an address. When the Lord makes a promise to you, he puts it on you for a certain place and a certain time. I had a vision not too long ago of angels ascending and descending like it's talked about in Jacob's ladder and in John 151 where, where Jesus said, tells Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Where do you see angels ascending and descending upon my body? And I saw angels with attitudes. Come on, you should tell your neighbor, my angel has an attitude. Now don't get freaked out about angels. Angels are the ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. They have an assignment to carry out the word of the Lord. They listen to the word of the Lord and they run and they carry it out. Are you hearing me? Yeah. I had a friend, a pastor, my pastor, uh, had a friend who was a ma uh, like a whiz at, uh, at mathematics. He was like, he studied st uh, statistics. He, he, he really got into math. And this guy just loved solving problems and explaining things. And he went to the original text of, of John's uh, a vision where he saw, I saw 10,000s times thousands times 10,000s. And he multiplied it out to the point where there was like somewhere around something ridiculous. Like if you multiplied it out, it was like 350 trillion or 350 trillion angels or something like that. He said it was enough for every believer to have at least 150,000 angels assigned to them. How many know if that's even remotely true, you'll probably bump into one every once in a while. She may be sitting next to you. He may be sitting next to you. If you want to get married right now, no, 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 I'm just erase that from the tape. That won't work. But I remember seeing these angels going up and down and they had attitudes. And I said, Lord, why do they look so angry? Why do they look so ticked off? They said, oh, 
He said, I, I, I make a promise. I have a delivery date and an address to deliver it to. They go down the ladder. They go to the house. They go to the person, to the place at the right time and the right place that I want to deliver it to them. They ring the doorbell. They knock on the door, but the people have moved and there's no forwarding address. So the very thing they carried down, they had to carry all back up the ladder and they're mad about it. Now, I, I'm telling you, it's just a figurative vision the Lord gave me. It's just a way that he communicates to me. But what I'm saying to you is this. Some of you are getting weary in the waiting. Some of you are trying to come up with a plan B and the Lord wants you to get rid of your plan B. Here's an awkward statement, an awkward question, an awkward message. How many of you in the room would ever name your child Judas? Like, it is the worst name in the world. Like, nobody wants to name their child Judas. Why? We think of Judas as this betrayer, this thief, this mean guy. Every picture of Judas, he never has a smile on his face. It's always this long, skinny face that is pouty, angry. And then most pictures have him holding a sack of, uh, of money, of shekels and coins, and he's the thief. But how many know that thief was a friend of Jesus? How many know that thief was an apostle? How many know that thief, that betrayer, was actually somebody that Jesus loved, cherished, washed his feet? walked with, probably had a few miracles happen, even in his own words or his hands. I think the greatest gospel that would have ever been written would have been the gospel of Judas if he would have repented. The only thing that separates Judas from, from Peter is repentance. Judas is the only disciple that came from a different part of town. Everybody else came nice and close, but Judas came from another place. And we often think that he's always just skimming up and he's always just stealing all the offering. I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think he heard the revolutionary message of Jesus. And I believe there was something in him that caused him to doubt. And he began to think sometimes, what if this Jesus thing doesn't work out? So I think he just skimmed off the top of the offering, put it underneath the mattress in case he needed to get back home. I call that a provision for failure. Whenever you start preparing for and putting away resource for plan B, you'll lose plan A. And the Lord wants us to know tonight that there is no plan B. That, that he's bringing you right now. He's keeping us in plan A. Redemption was plan A. Salvation plan A. Maybe you're not hearing me tonight. The, the God of the whole earth, the Lord of, who was and is and is to come. God, the Lord God Almighty. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. He is omniscient. He knows everything, doesn't he? It would tell me if that is his nature and who he is, then he would know before he created, before he spoke, let there be light, before he took Adam from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him and took Eve from his side, all of that, he knew that when he created them, before he created them, that they would fail. Now, if I'm God and I know my plan, the thing that I was going to do was going to fail, I wouldn't do it. Or maybe I would do an experiment and create them, and when they fell, I would just wipe the whole thing out erase the memory of all of, of history and creation, and nobody would ever know. So if he knew that they were going to fall and fail, 
before he created anything, if he knew them before the foundation of the earth, he must have said, you know what? They're going to mess it up, but they're worth it. You want to know why they were worth it? So that you could be alive in Australia in November, on November 10th, 2019. You're not hearing me. I believe right now, some of you, you, you need to understand that, that God isn't reacting and responding. He's ruling and reigning. He's not, he's not saying, what's the bad devil going to do? And what, oh my goodness, what's happening in society over here? And, and what am I going to do? And how am I going to respond to it? He, he's extending his scepter to the earth. I felt like the Lord tonight was extending his scepter to you. That is permission to access, to step into the presence of the king. There's a new authority coming upon you to execute plan A. But in order to do that, you've got to get rid of your plan B. This glory city thing doesn't work out. If this prophetic thing doesn't work out, if this worship thing doesn't work out, if this church thing doesn't work out, if this kingdom business thing doesn't work out, can I tell you something? Make no provision for failure. I think Judas decided to betray Jesus at this moment when she broke the alabaster box over the head and feet of Jesus. He said, well, that's a waste. She had a soul that we could have fed the, the poor. And Jesus said, you don't understand. You don't have eyes to see this one. She did what none of you, no, no one else in this room could do. She prepared my body for burial. He said, leave her alone. She's done a good thing. And it's going to be a testimony to her wherever the gospels preach. We're still telling the story. She gave an offering that offended a religious spirit. I want to give like that. I want to give in such a way that it offends the religious spirit. How many know when she broke the alabaster box, the, the perfume didn't just get on him, it got on her. So for the rest of her life, she would walk down the street and people would go, surely she's been with him. And I, I smell the aroma of heaven in this place today. That offense created a seed of separation in his heart. That caused him to betray not only Jesus, but the promise of God in his life. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight. This is not what I, I had uh, in going, but I, I felt like the Lord really right now in this moment is setting somebody straight in the room. Some of you right now, your plan B is blowing out the window. Your seed of separation is being uprooted before it, it cracks the foundation of your life. I'm not going to ask you to respond to it, but I'm telling you right now, this is a serious time. It is a joyful time. It is a very happy time and an exciting time. I, I believe the, all of the words that have come are, are so amazing, but I don't want to miss it from stinking thinking. I don't want to get offended when somebody else gets their breakthrough. I don't want to get offended when somebody else is willing to break an alabaster box over him and they get to smell like him for the rest of their life. And I was unwilling to, to do more than what I thought was just my reasonable act of 
holy obligation. Come on, the Lord. I said this weekend, the Lord is going to cause the head of Jezebel to roll. I believe that spirit is being eradicated from the earth. But I also believe the Lord is kicking out the Judas religious spirit out of the region. I don't know how to explain it. But I feel like some of you have been constrained even in your breathing. I'm not saying you have a religious spirit. I'm saying that somebody in the room, I feel like the religious spirit has tried to choke you out and steal your breath. And the Lord is about to release breakthrough in your breath today. There's breakthrough coming. Some of you are about to breathe so clearly. You're welcome. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Back in June, at the end of June, I was flying back from, uh, I was finishing up in the Netherlands. And I woke up in the morning and I felt something weird uh, in my mouth, you know. And I didn't know what it was. And I thought, well, it just kind of go away during the day. And as I began to fly, the thing, my face began to swell. And I, used to, I got a lot of pain. And so before well, I was in the air, I just emailed the dentist and said, can I get in? tomorrow morning and they emailed back and they, they set up an appointment and I went in and they, they said, you know, how long have you been putting this off? I said, well, I just noticed this. I, I noticed some other things for a while, but this just started yesterday. And he said, oh man, you missed the warning signs. And because of that, you've now got infection and abscess and four of your teeth. And we're going to have to do four different root canals. It's going to be a great week. And, and he puts me on antibiotics, and five days in, the antibiotics don't seem to be working. I'm still in pain. My face is still swollen. And uh, we're actually out of town. We're at a family function, and uh, it's miserable because I can't eat all the good food. And, and everybody else is feasting. I'm fasting by force. I was withering away to, to nothing. And... What are you laughing at? <laughs> Some people say I have the body of a God. I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> Come back, Holy Spirit. Uh, and, <clears throat> and, and so I decided, I, I called the dentist and they didn't respond. He was in stuff all day. And so I decided I would go to a, an urgent care, like an emergency room. And I walked in and there was a Polish immigrant a uh, medical doctor there, and he looked at me like, I'm going to have fun with this one. And he says in his Polish accent, now my grandmother, she used to take sage and make it into paste in a, in a hot water like a tea, and you swirl it around, but I don't have any sage. But medicine tells me that we use steel to heal, which means I go into the infection with a scalpel, and I just cut it open, or I take a syringe, and I begin to draw it out. Now, I'm just telling you, I've never done it before, but I'd like to try. Oh, the devil is a liar. There's a reason why they call it practicing medicine. They just want to practice on you. And they weren't practicing on this. You, yeah, listen, this is too valuable to mess up. Are you hearing me? You can do a lot of things, but you ain't going to mess with handsome and humble here. And so... Uh, you know, discernment came like, no, you ain't doing this. I, I ran. I, I paid the bill, but I ran out. And uh, fortunately, when I got back to the house we were at, the, the, um, 
the dentist called and he said, hey, yeah, I understand what you're saying, um, and, but I'm going to give you another. I want you to stay on that antibiotic and I'm going to give you another one. It's going to be stronger and you may not feel so good, but it'll take care of the infection. And then when you get back home, I'm going to bring you right in. I'm going to start doing root canal. <coughs> so he gives me the new antibiotic, thank goodness, and it starts, starts working. And I realized something. So often we ignore the warning signs. And we actually tolerate what Jesus came to terminate. We actually just start tolerating things, putting up with things, actually building up resistance to healing. We, we, we just go through it. And, 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 and some of you right now, the Lord's about to cut out the infection. Some of you right now, you keep sabotaging, sabotaging yourself by what you're speaking over your own life. Anytime you say something contra contrary to what God said over you, you're sabotaging yourself. It's why the Lord wants to take down this tall poppy syndrome thing once and for all. Because you, you've placed self-imposed limitations on you. And the Lord is actually just breaking through that tonight. And so I go in and I have the my family actually goes on a family vacation. I can't go because I now have this situation. <coughs> and uh, I go in in the morning and they start the root canal. They shoot me with Novocaine and I'm hanging in there. And He gets one done and two done, and three done. He's working on the fourth one. And right when he's going to the last canal, the Novocaine wears off and he hits the nerve. I wish I told you I could. I spoke in tongues. I, I think it was more like Aussie or French, one of the two. Uh, and, and, and he said, now I can stop and numb you and you can wait another 30 minutes and, and we can finish. Or he said, I'm there. And I don't know what stupidity came over me, but I said, since you're there, just, just finish. It was not a very good day. He finishes, you know, finishes the deal and crowns me with many crowns. And, <laughs> and I have a mate drives me back to the house and I'm on the couch and I'm having this amazing visitation of the Lord. Um, I'm laying on my couch. I fall into a sleep. I don't know if you've ever been in a sleep where it's so good. Like, you just feel like you're somewhere else. And I'm off in this supernatural, amazing sleep state. And I start to dream, but it felt so real. And I find myself with my head laying in the lap of Jesus. And he's stroking my hair. And he's saying, that's it, son. I have you right where I want you. I have you right where I want you in the place of rest because there is no restoration without rest and there is no restoration without a revelation of rest and it's the most beautiful encounter I'm having and all of a sudden one of my great Danes comes and just licks me in the face and pulls me out of the visitation the Lord is about to deal with the distractions that have been keeping you from your visitation the Lord is about to bring you into a place of supernatural rest. 
See, rest doesn't mean inactivity. It actually means doing what you're called to do. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I have a word for some of you in the room that have been weary in ministry. Ministry is about to get really, really fun around here again. There's about to be such a grace, that it's such a freedom, such an ease. Why? What you defeated in the wilderness can't invade your promised land. You're welcome. Come on, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. I, I want to forewarn you uh, in this moment that I'm about to, um, this message is a little bit different. Uh, than my normal prophetic message, okay? I, I want uh, to ask you to just trust me in this. I'm asking your permission that, to just allow me to be transparent and vulnerable. Uh, I believe the Lord is desiring for people, the people of God, especially people in pulpits, to be completely transparent and vulnerable. Uh, I believe that the greatest thing we'll ever share with somebody is our story. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's the greatest message, the greatest sermon you'll ever preach is what God has done in your life. I have a, a friend who, his name is Joey, and, and Joey's a great mate. He, I was working with him. Uh, we've done ministry together. We, even before we were in ministry, we did other things together and mowed lawn, and we'd have God conversations. And I remember a few years back, Joey said to me, he said, David, I don't have a testimony like you, like, I've never drank alcohol. I've never smoked a cigarette. I never gotten drugs. I was never promiscuous. I saved myself until I got married at, at 26 years old. I've never looked at pornography. He said, I'm not perfect, but I, my whole life is just this testimony. I've known and walked with God my whole life. And it was almost like he was apologizing because it wasn't this traumatic, dramatic testimony. And I thought to myself, Joey, that is the greatest testimony I ever heard. It's the greatest testimony I've ever heard. You're actually telling the testimony that I want my children and my children's children and their children to tell for generations to come. That's amazing. I've walked with God my whole life. You better tell it. I love Psalm 107, 20. It said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I like to say it with attitude. Because if you don't have that testimony, you've had all of these judgments and all of these words spoken against you. So sometimes it may sound like this, you know, you can't really be in ministry because you've been divorced. Well, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You used to be in the loony bin, so? You went to prison, so? You were born out of wedlock, so? And I'm telling you right now, there is about to be a great sound of so coming out of the nation of Australia. I've got a word for Australia. You're not... You may have started or felt like you started as a penal colony. But you are not a penal colony. You're a promised land. Which tells me this. The Lord did not come to redecorate your jail cell. 
He came to break you completely out. And I break the generations that have just redecorated and changed the curtains of the same cell. Maybe one of the most profound things I've ever said. Some of you right now in this moment, God is about to release the winds of change in you through you that might just release the winds of change through a nation and a generation. See, I believe right now that the Lord is looking for authenticity and vulnerability, transparency. I live by this statement. When you tell on yourself, the devil has nothing else to say. It's just true. I know this is a prophetic church. I know we've been in a prophetic conference. But I believe this with my whole heart. Sometimes the prophetic is futuristic. It points us to a hope and a future. But sometimes the prophetic causes us to come back. It actually brings us back. It brings us back to our first love. It brings us back to the place where he found us. It brings us back to some, even some unhealed places. So he can make us whole again. A few days before my mouth began to swell. <coughs> I'd walk through this year. I've had 10 deaths. I had 10 people close to me. Friends, family, intercessors. Go home to be with the Lord. I'm going home this week to a funeral for a, an uncle. Who uh, was an amazing man. And I had all of this grief that I didn't know how to unpack or to deal with. And the Lord got me off by myself and he spoke to me like a really, really good father. And he said, um, he said, son, you're broken, but I didn't call you to live broken. I called you to live whole. And he said, I, he said, you buried pieces of your heart throughout your life. And I'm going to take you on a journey over the next couple of hours. And we're going to back, go back and redeem and pick up every piece you buried. And I'm going to put it back in your chest. And by the time we're done, you're going to be whole. And when I make you whole, you're going to be able to start telling stories you've never been able to tell. Because it wouldn't have been good to tell it from a hurt place. But when you tell it from a healed place, healing will come. And so he took me to my father's grave as a six-year-old boy where the day my father was buried, I didn't get to go to the cemetery because it was freezing and in a blizzard. And so they left me at the church. But that day I buried a piece of my heart with my father. And a year later with my grandfather and a year later with a friend. And he just took me to all of these losses in my life where I buried these pieces of my heart and then he gave me every broken piece back in a box, completely constructed it, reconstructed it, put it back in my chest and healing took place. And it didn't take long, it was just in a moment. God could do more in a moment that you can do in a lifetime of counseling. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against medicine. I'm not, a, I believe God uses all of it. I'm just sharing the experience that I had. I believe right now that the Lord is about to do something amazing in this room. He brings us back. Some of you right now, there is a great coming back to your first love. There is a first love anointing coming upon this nation. I'm going to get through this as fast as I can in 12 minutes. Some of you are going to have to go get your kids. All right? 
But I just believe right now that the Lord is about to release an anointing, bringing us back to make us whole. I believe that right now that God is doing something in the earth. When I was flying over for another conference in March, I was flying somewhere over the Pacific and, you know, we're flying and I, I like to be up in the air because I feel like when I talk to God, he answers more quickly because I'm closer to him. <laughs> and I like to ask this question actually on a daily basis. I asked this question. I said, Lord, what are you doing in the earth today? What are you doing in the earth right now? And this is what he said to me. I'm about to restore innocence to a generation that had it stolen from them. I believe it's a prophetic word over this house. It's a prophetic word over this nation that God is restoring innocence to a generation that's had it stolen from them. And so I landed. I went into the conference in Melbourne and, and we were doing kind of these rapid fire 15 minute TED talk kind of <clears throat> sessions and first speaker got up and said purity of heart. Somebody else said, made the word re restoration. Somebody else talked about innocence and I got to tie it all together. And so I began to share, you know, the Lord said he's restoring innocence to a generation that had it stolen from them. And then the Lord said, you know, when I saved you, I didn't find you not guilty. I found you innocent. To find you not guilty would have been, there's not enough evidence to convict you. But to find you innocent, you weren't even the country when the offense happened. And then he said, I want you to begin to redeem and take back words that the enemy has taken uh, and hijacked from the church and from the earth. He said, I want you to begin with the word naive. Now, up until that day, if you would tell me naive, I, if somebody was naive, I'd say they're not very street smart. They haven't had very much life experience. They're, you know, they're just kind of, you know, they're, they're ignorant to things. But I looked it up and here's what it meant. You can define it like this. Naive really means this, that somebody is so pure-hearted and pure-minded that they can't even comprehend the perversion. That they couldn't even comprehend a dirty joke. They couldn't even comprehend the word because their mind is so pure, it can't even get absorbed in there. And I'm here to tell you right now that God is releasing that kind of restoration of innocence upon this nation. When you're covered in God's presence, there is no shame. And God right now wants to strip you of your shame and clothe you once again in his presence. I want you to know it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. I'm not in a church tonight of starters. I'm in a church of finishers tonight. And some of you, God is releasing the anointing to finish well to finish this year well, to finish the assignment well. Some of you need to finish the books in you. Some of you need to begin to take on that identity of a finisher. I love what Heidi Baker says. She says, the only way you lose is if you quit. When I believe that the church is the world's last hope, it's only hope. God has called us to be a fortress for families. I believe it's a season where the Lord is healing trust. I believe the Lord is calling this to be a nation of covenant people, not contractual Christians. Covenant is based on trust. Contracts are based on distrust. When somebody's going to do work in my house, I sign a contract with them because I don't believe they're going to do the work right and they don't believe I'm going to pay them when they do. And so now you have legal recourse just in case. But covenant says, I trust you completely with all that I am. I trust you. We can do this deal with a handshake and with just on my name. 
Some of you, God's bringing you into that. My wife and I were at a marriage seminar not too long ago, and we heard a great speaker by the name of Dr. Jimmy Evans. He said these words, if the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, it's time to water your own lawn. And sometimes we shop churches like that. Sometimes we allow that to affect our marriages and we're, we're looking at what everybody else is doing, what everybody else has got. And I'm telling you right now, it's time to water your own lawn. Come on, I believe right now the Lord is about to release restoration and redemption like never before. There, there is no restoration without a revelation. When my wife and I were dating, we had just gotten engaged. I'll never forget it. It was May of 1999. And uh, it was the first time we were going to receive prophetic ministry together. There'd been a prophetic conference. And there was this prophetic minister named Johnny Barham, Prophet Johnny Barham from uh, Conway, Arkansas. And uh, he, he was a southern boy and the only guy I ever knew to stutter in tongues. So he would start out his, his start out his prayers, and then he'd go, and now my son saith God. So that's how he starts with me. And now my son saith God. And then he started to say in a prophecy, what you don't want to hear in a prophecy if you're receiving it. He starts going, oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, God, no. No, 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 no. Y'all been being bad. One time, two times, three times, four times, five times. And he gets to 10 and he's like, I ran out of fingers too many times. Y'all need to get married or break up. Now, it wasn't public in a room of a couple hundred people. That would have been embarrassing. It was already uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, he, he points to me. He said, where's your baby girl? And I said, I don't have a baby. Uh, she has a baby. My wife had a baby before I ever met her. Uh, her name is Era, which means beautiful altar from the book of Nehemiah. I met Era before I met Molly. And uh, I fell in love with this little girl. And uh, uh, when I married Molly later on, I, I, the day I married her, I put a ring on her finger and a necklace around her neck. And. I said, honey, I'm never going to call you a stepdaughter because there'll never be a step between me and you. And, and so that we've lived in that. We've lived in that covenant. She's beautiful. She's just like me. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to come out like that, but if the shoe fits, just go ahead and wear it. I'm, I'm going to own it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. And, and he said, no, no, no. You have a daughter. And the daughter's not alive. The daughter isn't on the earth. The daughter's in heaven with Jesus. Where's your little girl? And nobody knew this, but before I gave my life to Jesus, uh, I was married, I was mentally ill, schizophrenic, alcoholic, and one of my uh, times that I was, I was locked up on a Baker Act, I was committed to a hospital mental ward, uh, my wife packed up and, and, and left me. She divorced me and and and... About a year or two after the divorce, I'm now a believer. I'm in a grocery store, and I run into her. And it was an awkward meeting, and she says something of this effect. I want you to know that the day I left you, I was pregnant with your baby, 
but I didn't want anything to remind me of you. So I aborted the baby. And I carried that shame for a number of years up into the point where I'm sitting with that prophet. Now, I love being a dad. That kind of thing hurts. That kind of thing is wounding. That kind of thing is shameful. I believe in the sanctity of life. I, I didn't have a choice in the matter. But it doesn't make it any easier. But the word comes, and he said, Jesus wants you to know that you couldn't hold her, but he did. That she's grown up in heaven with Jesus, and she knows that you're her dad, and she thinks you're a really good one. And Jesus wants you to know that she's going to know you when you get there, and that he has washed you completely clean, and don't you let the shame of that moment hold you back. There, there would have been no restoration without a revelation. You know what I thought I'd done? Committed the impardonable sin. I thought that's the biggest one. How can I be forgiven of that? I, I know maybe this is a hard message to hear, but somebody needs to hear it. Somebody in this room is about to get super free. Some of you, you've been holding something uh, over your own head, like I'm disqualified, I can't step into this. I can be a part of church, but I can never be in ministry. Look at me. I shouldn't be here. In the natural, I shouldn't be here. By the world standards, religious restrictions, I shouldn't be here. But there is a God who before the foundation of the earth knew me, called me by name, called me according to his purposes. He had the first word over my life. He'll have the last word over my life. And it really doesn't matter what anybody says in between. Some of you right now, you need to go back to the future and find out that very thing that God said about you before the foundation of the earth. That prophet was right. My wife and I, before we were married, had been sleeping together. We were zealous for the Lord, both new to God. We had great zeal, but not great character. We compromised. She became pregnant and I thought we can't let anybody know. We actually literally took 100 pregnancy tests because this could be happening. I'm going into ministry. This will kill my ministry before it starts. I was working in the church. She was working in the preschool. And for four and a half months, we lived in denial. But how many know you can't hide a baby forever? When she got four and a half months, she started showing that. This is eight months, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I was living with my pastor. I, I remember going to the church, and so I couldn't tell him. He was the only dad i really ever known. And so I went to his son, the associate, who was a good friend, a good mate of mine. And I, 
And I told him the whole truth and he wept with me and he said, now you gotta go tell dad. And I said, no, that's why I told you. <laughs> and he said, no, you gotta go tell dad. And so he, he, he said, if you don't tell him, I'm gonna have to and I'm gonna give you the end of the day. And every time I saw my pastor coming, I kept going to the other side of the room, kept going, just walking away. I left a few minutes before he did. I got home, I packed my bag. I threw everything in a, in a black rubbish bag. Because to me, I knew there was only one thing to do with me, and that's throw me out. So I packed my bag, I got in the bed, and I prayed, God, give me one more night's sleep in the house. Fifteen minutes later, the garage door opened, and a few minutes later, I heard these footsteps. They were deliberate, and they were strong. My pastor came and knocked on the door, said, David, something you need to talk to me about? I said, no, nothing I can think of. <laughs> He said, I need to talk to you. Get up, get dressed, come downstairs. So I grabbed my trash bag. I put it at the end of the landing of the stairs and I went to sit in the front room. I told my pastor the whole truth and he wept with me. He said, son, I'm disappointed, but it doesn't change the call of God on your life. And if you're willing to go through a process, I'll bring you through restoration and We'll move up the wedding day. We'll, we'll, we'll make things right. Because here's what I need you to know more than anything else right now. I need you to know that failure is never final when a father's in the room. And he set out knowing what to do with the call of God on this broken young believer. And all of my failures, and it's why I'm here tonight. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I remember standing up at my wedding that day, making this declaration in front of 200 of, our, of the people. So today I'm marrying my best friend. We fell, she's pregnant, but I'm not marrying her because she's pregnant. I'm marrying her because I love her. She's pregnant. And the child she's carrying is not a problem. He's not an accident. But he is a promise and a gift from God. And I'm going to name him Benjamin. And he's going to be the son of my right hand. Today my son is 19. He preaches better than me. He has an amazing, accurate, prophetic gift. Filled with compassion. Last year in his first year of Bible college, they, you know, you fill out your spiritual profile. and You deal with rejection or abandonment. Or, and he said, Dad, I, I checked the, the boxes because I know my story, but he said, I've never felt rejected a day in my life. I've never felt denied a day in my life. Because what you fought in the spirit, I'll never have to fight in the flesh. And I'm telling you right now, there are some of you that God is restoring your fight for a future generation. We can't change what happened yesterday, yesteryear, last decade, last month, whatever. But I'm not going to let that change what God said about my life, about my ministry. Because it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. I know I'm a little bit over. We'll pay the child workers out of my love offering. Just bear with me. Can I just have five, five minutes? Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus? Aren't you thankful for his goodness, for his grace?
It's a story, man. I, I used to get mad when I read this story in the Bible. I, I thought it was the meanness of God. Second Samuel 12. David's messed up. He should have gone to war, but instead he stayed back. And he's not where he's supposed to be, and his eyes begin to wander, and he finds Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop and sends her husband out to the battlefield and sleeps with her. They fall. She gets pregnant and he has, you know, the story Uriah gets killed and Nathan, the prophet turns up at the house, tells David a parable. There is a man that had all kinds of lambs and there was another man who had one lamb and the man with many lambs decided he wanted the one man's one lamb. And so he killed him and took it from it. And David said, tell me who it is. I'll bring justice to him. I'll kill him. I'll wipe him out. And Nathan said, you're the man. David owned it and he receives this word that your baby's not going to make it. It's, your baby's going to get sick and die, David. And the baby comes forth and. 2 Samuel 12, 15. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not. Nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. And he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm to himself or to us. When David saw that his servants were whispering David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house. When he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this you've done, David? You fasted and wept. For the child, while well, he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and you ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? For I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in to her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Here's the beauty of it. Solomon means peace. Unbroken 
and whole. Jedidiah means beloved of Jehovah. There's a prophetic lesson in what I just read to you. David chose not to let failure be final. He did something. He made a conscious decision that he couldn't change what had happened. But he made this choice. He got up. And some of you right now, God is calling you to get up. You've been on the ground long enough. You've been rolling around in torment long enough. You've been laying there crying out, wallowing in the, in the mud, having a pity party long enough. And the Lord is saying, it is time to get up again. He got up. He washed himself. Can I tell you something? There is a washing of the blood. There is a washing of the Lord coming over the church. Because we may have gotten up, but some of us still smell like death. And the Lord is releasing this washing, this cleansing that comes with repentance. The Bible says he got up, he washed himself, he got dressed. I think he found his royal robes again. And he said, I may have missed it, but I'm still the king. And some of you right now, you need to pick up your mantle that you laid down at the place of failure. You need to pick it up again because God hasn't changed his mind about you. He anointed himself. He actually put back on what the Lord had put on him long ago. And the scent is about to change. The aroma, the scent in Australia is about to change. There is a re-anointing coming with the washing and the redressing and the getting up. And he went into the house of God and shame left him. Because shame can't live where the presence dwells. Some of you right now, it's time to go back into presence. And he went back home and he made it right. It was no longer his adulterous fear, no longer his mistress, but it was his wife. Which means he chose her. He no longer used her, he chose her. He didn't just choose her, but now he wants her. Some of you right now, it might be the most important thing you've ever heard. God didn't just choose you, but he wants you. And they did it wrong one time, but they came back. They have a son, they call him Solomon. Healed, whole, peace. And the prophet comes and gives him another name, Jedediah, because of the Lord. Then it says, and the Lord loved him. Some of you right now, the love of the Lord, you're about to receive a fresh baptism of the love of God like you've never known before. I believe right now, you're about to discover the first word that God ever spoke about you. So I finally close. Some believe that Solomon wrote this about his mother, Proverbs 31 and 10. 
Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. Goes on to say she perceives that her merchandise is good. You know what she's saying? I'm not what everybody said I was. I am amazing. I am beautiful. I am anointed. I am chosen. I'm wanted. And you go to the end of it and Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow in her household for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Her husband is known in the gate. She makes him known. Her strength and honor are her clothing. She shall come in time and rejoice. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. How many know that's a good last word over your life? It's one of the last words over David's life, Acts 13 and 22. He raised He raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse. A man after my own heart who will do all my will. He had the first word and he'll have the last word. Some of you right now, you're about to discover, you're about to hear your father speak it again. As I close, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look over your left shoulder. I want you to look over your right shoulder. Now let me ask you a question. What's following you? My whole life I've looked over my shoulder waiting for somebody's daddy, somebody's husband, somebody, some policeman, some something to come and lock me up. For the last 23 years, I can only see and find goodness and mercy following me. One final story. I tie it all together. I've been saved since January 17th, 1997. It's a day that radically changed my life. God set me free of addiction and schizophrenia. Silenced every voice but his voice. A year later, I moved to Pensacola. I've been in ministry over 20 years. We lived there. And last year, we decided we felt that like the Lord called us to another place called Tennessee. After I was there for a few months, I decided I want to make it official, so I was going to turn my Florida license in for a Tennessee license. And so I made the appointment. I brought all my documents. And I went to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and I stood in line. They called me forward. They punched in the numbers, and I could see concern on the woman's face. She had a supervisor, and he said, wait here a minute. And he went and got a state trooper, a state policeman. They said, we can't give you a license because you have a warrant for your arrest from 1996 in Wisconsin. So I said, are you going to lock me up? And they said, no, it's only $286. They won't pay to extradite you from there. It's over a thousand miles, but you need to take care of it. So I just got on my phone right there and I figured it out and I paid that thing off and warrant disappeared. They said, we can't give you a license because your license has been revoked 
for 20 years. And I said, but I've had a Florida license, a valid license. He said, evidently Florida doesn't talk to Wisconsin, but we talk to everybody and you're revoked. And I said, why? They said, I can't tell you, you gotta call them. And so I called, they said, you know what? You did 10 days in jail for your two drunk drivings. You, you went through, uh, you, you paid the fines, you did the time, but you never got your drug and alcohol assessment. I said, do I have to go back there? They said, no, we'll just, you got to find a approved provider where you are. And so they did. And uh, So I found an approved provider and I, I went and sat with the guy. I told him my story and he wept. Filled out all kinds of paperwork and he just wept. Didn't feel too bad. He still took my $250 <laughs> for the assessment and and he's, with tears in his eyes, said, I'm so sorry. I can write a letter, but they won't accept it. Even if Wisconsin accepts it, Tennessee won't. Um, I can tell them that you're free, that you know, God's done a work in your life, and I know that to be true. They won't understand that. I can tell them that you've been really sober for 22 years. Um, they, they won't really just receive my report. You're going to have to go through DUI school, drunk driving school. And so I said, okay. Sign me up. And so Valentine's Day weekend, while everybody else is out to dinner, I get assigned to DUI school. My two sons are driving me there because I don't have a license. They won't even let me sit in the front seat because they both have licenses and I don't. And my son Benjamin... I told you about is driving and while we're driving there he starts crying so much that he pulls off to the side of the road he said dad I'm so proud of you you are a man of integrity you're the greatest man of God I know and you're walking through a process you could run from it you could do all kinds of things but dad, God is sending you to this school because you're going to be a father to this DUI school you're going to get words of knowledge and people are going to come to Jesus He's my favorite son. <laughs> now, Caleb, his brother's 17, and he's a prophet. He's not my favorite son, and here's why. He's going, my dad's a convict. <laughs> and this is what he says to me. He, he's dropped me off at school, you know. He said, Dad, when you walk through DUI school, there's probably going to be some like little flags that say DUI school. And when you walk through, there's going to be somebody from our church, our new church, drive by and honk the horn at you. I tried to walk real fast. All of a sudden, I hear beep, beep, associate pastor of the new church just driving by, just waving at me. I walk in and I sign the sign in and Everybody's nervous, like, do you have a Star Wars lunchbox or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, you know? Do you have designer shoes on or are you wearing Bobo shoes? You're like, going back to school, you know? And I walk in and there's the instructor. And the instructor's name is Jimmy. And Jimmy's got gray, greasy hair and a big old ponytail, biker type. He's got prison tattoos. Not quite as extreme as what we saw with Lee earlier. But this guy is like, he's got bad dad jokes and recovery jokes for days. 
And I go in, I introduce myself. He goes, my name is Jimmy. I said, I'm David. And he said, 18 years ago, I've been, I've been sober 18 years. And he said, because I finally realized something. That, uh, he said, I realized I was allergic to alcohol. Every time I drank it, I broke out in handcuffs. <laughs> like, just, just stuff like that, right? And I'm thinking, I should be teaching the class. I have three years on the guy, right? And, and so we're there. And we're going around the room. I'm telling him my story. He goes, it always happens, man. Always catches up to you. And I thought about it for a second. I realized my past didn't catch up to me. Goodness and mercy did. And I sit next to this guy. His name was Cameron. I looked at him and the Lord speaks to me about him. He said, I want you to tell him he's not a screw up. And I said, I don't think you're allowed to talk like that in America. Maybe you get away with it in Australia, but you can't get away with talking like that, God, in America. Like, how can I tell a guy that word? I don't even know, Holy Spirit, if you can use those words. He said, tell him he's not a screw up. So finally I said, hey, Cameron, I'm, I'm David, man, and I don't know what this means to you, but I'm just sitting here, and I want you to know that I believe in you, and God believes in you, and you're not a screw-up. And he begins to weep and tells me his story. That the day his mother told his father that she was pregnant with him, he said, this kid's going to screw up my life, but said something worse. And he said, for my 24 years on the earth, my father's never called me by my name. He only calls me screw up, but worse. And I would have never been able to sit next to an amazing young man unless I had walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not proud of my past. I'm not proud of the fact that I drunk drive. I, I, I'm not proud of that. But he is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He is a renewer. And that day I spent my, those two days, I got to spend my time around smoking circles and coffee pots, hearing people's stories and prophesying prophetic words to 26 people I would have never had access to. I graduated, I got my license now, but I asked the head of the school, the counseling place, I said, hey, um, I can't come every month because I travel, but when I'm in town and the school's on, can I come again? He said, are you willing to pay? And the answer is yes. I said, I'd like to be the pastor of your DUI school. Wow. He started crying. He said, what if every pastor in our city would just come? I think we'd find who the church is missing. I've been back three times now. And every time I go in, I look over my left shoulder 
and over my right shoulder, and I find two friends coming with me named Goodness and Mercy. Goodness and Mercy. David said these words. Goodness, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Tonight you're in this place. Goodness and mercy are here with you. It's not an easy message to preach. I'm sure it's not an easy message to hear. But I want to stand here in all humility and say this is what Australia needs. Not that I have it all together, but while I was falling apart, he knew where all the pieces were. He restored my soul, caused my cup to run over and goodness to mercy to follow me. Some of you right now, quit waiting for the past to catch up to you because goodness and mercy are following you. If you're in this room today, You've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. It would be a great day. Say, Jesus, I want you. I, I need you to wipe away the past. I've shared some of the deepest, darkest sins of my life on purpose tonight. Because if Jesus can forgive me, if the blood of Jesus can cover me, if he can qualify me, just think of what he can do with you. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's bad news. It means we all deserve to die and go to hell. But the good news is this. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Book of Acts, chapter 4, says there's no other name in heavens or in the heavens or in the earth by which a man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Paul the Apostle said that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead, confess with your mouth, then you're children of God. Jesus himself took it a step further and said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Just look at me 30 seconds. I shouldn't be here. Tried committing suicide 10 times, was successful the last time. God intervened. had all of these stories you've heard tonight. But I found a faithful friend on January 17th, 1997. And I prayed a simple prayer that day when he woke me up out of a coma. I just prayed, God, if you can love me when I can't love myself, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. It's why I'm here. It was the greatest decision I ever made. I know it's a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday evening. I know this may be the longest church service of your life. But at least you got to look at eye candy, right? I mean, not bad. 
But if you're here tonight and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you're not here by accident. You're here because God drew you here. There's no coincidence. There is no accident in God. <coughs> if you're here tonight, maybe you once knew him and you found yourself falling away. You want to give your life again back to Jesus tonight. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I just want to pray for you. Want me to include you in that prayer? I need to give my life to Jesus tonight. I need to come back to him. I don't want to embarrass you. just want to pray for you. If you want me to include you in that prayer, I want you to raise your hand. You put it right back down. I need to get right with God tonight. I need to give my life to him. All right, I need to come back to him. Anybody in the room? Hallelujah. I don't want to have one day, one day. One missed opportunity where I don't give somebody the opportunity to receive Jesus tonight. Brings me to this point. There's probably two different types of people in this room. One, you can relate to this story. And maybe some of you feel like you're buried in your failure. But today, God is about to restore and redeem the time and raise you up again. And the other group of people is in this room is to be those that would cover the fallen. And begin to raise them up again. And draw the water. Help get them up from the ground. Draw the water so they can wash themselves off. Get their clothes clean and put them back on. Get the bottle of oil to anoint them afresh and anew. If you're in this place today. I believe the Lord is about to set some people completely free. Here's what I believe. The Lord doesn't waste anything. What we've called wasted, he calls perfume. Tonight you're in this room. I felt the wind of the Spirit of God on the word redemption and restoration. I don't know how to wrap it up other than to say this. Today the Lord wants to settle the issues. If you've lived under the shame, if you've lived underneath the condemnation, of the past and you've let that keep you from the calling of God on your life today <coughs> today that torment ends and freedom comes if I'm talking to you I don't want you to hesitate procrastinate I want you to get out of your seat and come to the front of this place I want to step into the fullness of restoration I want to step out of the shame I want to be clothed in the promises and in the presence of God there's no judgment. Nobody's going to try to guess what you're coming to lay down here. There's freedom in the house today. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.